Well, hey there, everyone. This is Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today's episode is all about self-storage facilities, self-storage investing. My special guest is Chris Benson calling in all the way from Georgia. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you? Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm doing great, doing great. So first of all, for folks that aren't familiar with self-storage as an investment class, why are you so enthusiastic about it? Why do you think this is such a good place to invest when it comes to the real estate space? Well, I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm a data guy, Dave, right? So I try to make most of my decisions rooted in data. And so what's interesting with self-storage, and, and I can give you the link to this data set, but the National Association of REITs tracks all of the publicly traded REITs across all the subsectors. And if you look at the historical performance of self-storage comparatively to, you know, call it the four major food groups, multifamily, office, retail, industrial, self-storage has performed them all, outperformed all of them in the last 25 years. They've done just under 17% as a REIT, where apartments have been closer to 13, you know, retail and office were in that general vicinity too. So everything's performed well, but historically the performance has been great. The second thing that I always look for, I'm a big believer that things that are going to happen have already happened. You just have to look in the past to find them. And so, you know, the next recession, and we're recording this in May in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. And so we're kind of in the midst of, we'll see what happens, but self-storage has performed really well in economic downturns. So in 2007, 8, 9, that same data set, storage lost less than 4% of its value. Apartments was closer to seven. Retail and office were in the double digits. S&P 500, just for example, was down 21%. So, you know, it had that downside protection as well as the upside. And then the third reason, and this is kind of how I got too reliant and the reason I like it most is the ownership is very fragmented in the asset class. So, you know, the REITs own 20, 25% of the market and the rest of it, at least in the United States, is very fragmented as far as the types of owners. And there's still a lot of mom and pops. So people who own one or two facilities. So it gives a, a, a tremendous consolidation opportunity that exists to, to you know, buy up a portfolio and, and potentially roll that up. All right. Well, that makes sense. So it sounds like you're, you're a person that uh, focuses a lot on history. Like you mentioned, you know, whatever's going to happen probably already has happened in the past. Sure. Can you give us a little bit of a, a backstory about, if you know, how self-storage began in the first place. Because I actually, I mean, I've, I've looked into self-storage a fair bit, but I don't remember how it actually got started. Do you know? So where? I don't know the actual origin story and I'm going off memory. So if someone Googles this later and says, wow, Chris is full of crap, just <laughs> ignore what I'm about to say. But I believe the origin story is there was a guy in Texas who opened the first facility in maybe the 50s and 60s and did it for military people. Okay. So when they got shipped out, he was giving them opportunities to put their stuff somewhere that was safe and secure. And then when they came back, they could get it out. You know, public storage, which is the nation's largest self-storage REIT, was really the first group to kind of institutionalize it. And it went through a number of iterations to where it is now. You know, they own 2,500 stores or something across the world. But, you know, when you think about storage inherently, it's a garage, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, you know, people love stuff. And they may not necessarily have the, the room to keep it. And so, you know, the problem that self-storage is essentially solving is giving you space and allowing you to organize. And really, our business has been built around change, right? So demand for self-storage comes from 
you know, there's a, a four D's death, divorce, dislocation, and what's the fourth D, but you get the idea, you know, is, you know, you have change in your life and you most likely need some sort of storage capacity. And so it's grown over the years, Dave. I, you know, when I first thought about self-storage, I thought about like, you know, the, this storage facility out in somewhere rural behind some guy's house in a gravel pad. And you go inside the house and you meet a guy with spaghetti stains on his t-shirt and, you know, he rents a unit behind his house. And, you know, it's come from there that. There are a few of those still around, aren't there? They're still, they're still very much are. And some of them are just some of the best opportunities from an investment side of things. But, you know, that's come to kind of second generation storage where, you know, we're building facilities on the corner of Maine and Maine and the top 50 MSAs of the country. And it's all glass and brick. And, you know, it, the retail office rivals any Starbucks that you may walk into. So, you know, it's come a long way and, and it's quote unquote been institutionalized, I think, in the last 10 years. It's come with much more favor than maybe it had in the past. Yeah, it's getting a little a little sexier these days, huh? So, Chris, what, what kind of facilities do you and your company focus on and what geographical areas? So we're a vertically integrated storage operator. So we're buying and managing the properties that we own. Typically, we're in kind of secondary tertiary markets across the southeastern United States. Right now, we have 44 properties in our portfolio spread across eight states. We're primarily focused on value-add type deals. And value-add, you know, maybe different than a little bit than apartments or residential housing. You yeah, know, we're so not putting... Look like in self-storage. If I told you we were putting granite countertops and hardwood floors in our storage units, that you wouldn't buy into that, huh? I, I hope not. <laughs> But it, it can be a little bit of anything. I, I think how we look at it is we look at the lens of value add or through the lens of how we're going to exit. So when we look at a value add property, we're ostensibly saying, what do we need to do to this asset to allow it to be attractive to an institutional type investor? And that could be, you know, a REIT, one of the REITs could come by the facility or, you know, institutional money, think pension fund, insurance companies, those types of sources who want to come and deploy capital in the space. And so sometimes value add is expansion. You know, we may have acreage that's being underutilized and we feel like the market can support another, you know, 10 to 15,000 of square feet of storage. Sometimes that value add is an operational play where, as you mentioned, the guy with the spaghetti stain t-shirt, you know, they're not raising rents. They don't have any ancillary income items. You know, storage is, is like an operational business with a real estate play on the side. So you, know, you can add things to the performa, things like U-Haul truck rental, tenant insurance, retail. You know, we're selling locks and boxes and those types of things that help buoy the, the incomes going along with the performa. So yeah, it's it's one of those businesses that's constantly changing. And and ultimately for us, value add has been where we've most found the most value. That makes sense. So I mean, you you guys are really looking for value, looking to buy the property right and increase the value of it by making it more profitable. Basically that's the bottom line, right? And then trying so what so typically you guys have how many properties in your portfolio? 45 right now? 44? Yeah, 44 that we own. And then I think we have four that we're third party managing. All right. And are you planning eventually to sell the whole kit and caboodle in one fell swoop or you sell off the the assets as they as you've increased the value? I would say that we're kind of opportunistic in that regard. We just sold at the beginning of March a 14 property portfolio to one of the publicly traded REITs. 
there's certainly some additional value you're going to get, at least right now in the market for portfolio level sale. As you kind of get into the bigger numbers, there's you know more value to large institutional capital, the bigger the portfolio can be. So, you know, I would say that we're opportunistic and we look, you know, if we can maximize the value of the property by an individual sale, we'll do that. You know, if we can bundle a couple together, you know, a lot of it, Dave, is geographic as well, right? If you're looking for someone to purchase a, a bundle of assets, they want to be able to say, okay, this makes sense for us geographically to come into these three states or, you know, this three hour radius. So I think we look at it with a little bit of uh, a lens, a little bit different in each situation. So Chris, yourself personally, how did you get hooked on the whole self-storage space in the first place? How did that come to be? Well, as a real estate investor, I, I kind of got into real estate. My background in college or right after college was in sales. And when I turned about 30, I realized that I probably couldn't do that another 30 years. You know, I was making a bunch of money and, you know, job was great, but my lifestyle was awful. I worked a lot. So it was for me about, you know, building freedom and, you know, being able to control my time and real estate made sense, you know, just as far as being able to create passive income. So I started in residential. We owned some duplexes. Very quickly, I realized I hated that. And it wasn't going to be scalable for us. There was a quote I mean, that you I heard. You don't like dealing with tenants and toilets. Yeah, it was. There was a quote that I heard that really kind of solidified for me, which was big deals and small deals are the same amount of work. You just make less money on small deals. And so we got into commercial multifamily. It's a longer story than we probably have time for, but we ended up developing a 64 unit apartment complex. And that's kind of where the bells went off, where I said, oh, you know, this is how you scale in real estate. And so we invested in multifamily for quite a few years. And then, as you probably know, cap rates have compressed in multifamily. It's become very, very competitive and tough to find value. You'll see how COVID affects us now. But, you know, so I started looking at other asset classes and the data that we started with, Dave, those three reasons were really how I made the transition to self-storage. And first, I was a passive investor, actually with Reliant. I went out and Talked to a whole bunch of different self-storage operators. I like the guys here at Reliant. And after a couple of years, they needed some help raising equity and building out their investment platform, which I had some experience with. And so that's how we joined the company. So, you know, in the last five years, we've done just over $650 million in transactions, buying and selling. So we've had a lot of velocity in the space. And, you know, we're curious to see kind of how the next 90 days go with <laughs> what's going on with COVID. Well, that's a good question. How do you think? Because you touched on a, a big point. The, the demand for self-storage is based on the fact that we as North Americans buy a lot of shit. I mean, that we just clutter up our lives and we <laughs> run out of places to, to put it. And we are our own garage. I mean, you look around any neighborhood, most of the cars are parked outside because the garages are full of crap. The stuff that doesn't fit in our own garage, we have to go put in self-storage. If the economy really constricts and we can't buy as much crap as we normally buy, how do you see that affecting self-storage? Well, again, I don't, I can give you my gut, right? Yeah, that's um, all I can ask you for, for sure. I mean, I think the data suggests that in 2007-89, right, the last financial impact, storage did really well, right? Because people were downsizing, people were moving, you know, right. that change was creating demand for storage. You know, with this particular impact, so far so good. It's May 21st, and we've seen very minimal impact on revenues and collections and even delinquency. I was talking to our director of operations this morning, and 
you know, he, he has fielded about 40 calls of people who are saying, hey, I need some sort of break. And, you know, we have 44 properties and just over 30,000 units. Wow. So it's a pretty small percentage. That's um, but I, I would say, Dave, that I think it depends how long everything stays locked down, right? You yeah. know, as I think we're all kind of holding our breath to say, hey, as the economy opens back up, are people able to generate income? Because if this goes through the summer where, you know, incomes are being constricted, then I think it's not going to matter what asset class we're all in. There's going to be some catastrophic effects to that for sure. And so, you know, from my perspective, I believe that storage is somewhat insulated because it's a small percentage of your monthly income and you're collateralized by your stuff. Most people don't want to get rid of it, right? I'm sure your listeners... We're addicted, we're addicted to that stuff. So a quick yeah. question for you. Sure. Uh, so if somebody stops paying their rent for their self-storage facility, how long is it before you guys can put the locker up for auction? It's state-by-state state dependent. So the rules... Yeah. I mean, sometimes some states it's as short as, you know, 15 to 45 days. Sometimes it's 60 to 80. It really is state by state and what those tenant rules are. You know, the auctions for us, and I know there's, at least in the U.S., there's a TV show called Storage Wars. Yeah, it's, there's a Canadian version too. So yeah. We're, yeah. So, you know, it, it's a big, it looks sexy, but it's a huge pain in the butt for us. We don't make any money off of it. You know, even if we sold a unit for a million bucks, they pay us. Um, the late fees and past due rent, and that's it. And then the that's rest of the money. The auction company keeps all the money. Or no, actually, the tenant is supposed to get all the money. Really? So the auction money, the auction company makes a percentage on what they sell it for, pays their fees, it pays us our fees, and then the money goes to the state, and the state tries to track those people down. Supposedly, the state supposedly gives it to the, the tenant. Theoretically. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I thought it... Just out of ignorance, I thought it went to the storage company. I thought, hey, well, that's that's yeah, we'd be auctioning everybody's goods off then. <laughs> yeah, you'd be encouraging people to default. All right, well, that makes sense. Chris, very, very cool. Thank you very much for, for sharing some insights about the self-storage business. If people want to reach out, they want to find out more about you and Reliant, what should they do? For the Reliant side, if you're interested in you know our platform, potential investments with us, they can go to reliantinvestments.com. There's a bunch of free education on there as well. Some videos in regards to what you should know as far as commercial real estate investing. And then if you're trying to connect with me personally on LinkedIn, we're pretty active. We do a fair amount of posting there. My name's spelled with a K, so it's K-R-I-S. But if you search that and rely on it, I'm sure you'll be able to find me. Awesome. Thank you very much for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, my pleasure, Dave. Stay safe. You too, my friend. All right, everybody, take care. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. We very, very much appreciate it. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at Investor Attraction Demo. Dot com. Take care.